Hello, and welcome to season two of Conference Room C, where the culture meets. I'm your host, Dr. Amina Gilliard James, and today's topic is But You Don't Look Sick, Young Black Professional Edition. I wanted to start this season off with a topic that is very personal to me. All of the discussions I bring into the conference room resonate with me, whether it's leading while Black or how working while Black affects our mental health or the role of allies in the workplace, all of which we've covered in season one. But today's topic about being a Black professional with an invisible disability is something that I've dealt with my entire career and haven't spoken much about publicly. What are invisible disabilities? Invisible disabilities are physical, mental, or neurological conditions that are not visible from the outside, but they can limit or challenge a person's movements, senses, or activities. Invisible disabilities can include things like arthritis, diabetes, mental illness, learning disorders, muscular or nervous system disorders, and much more. The really unfortunate thing is that we know about these diseases but we don't often think of them as things that can affect a person's ability in the workspace, just as much and sometimes more than those disabilities we can readily see. As a preteen, I was diagnosed with what was then known as juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. At the time I was diagnosed, I was a budding track star. I wasn't Flojo or anything, but I had managed to get the attention of a local track team and qualify for my Junior Olympics regional competition. Suddenly, I went from that to being told by my doctor that if I kept running, then I wouldn't be able to even walk by the time I was 30 years old. Of course, I'm hard-headed, if you know anything from listening to season one, and I decided not to stop all my favorite activities during my high school and college years. But really, what I was doing was setting myself up. By the time I entered my career around age 24, I was already tired and had been diagnosed with other autoimmune-related conditions. I honestly felt like a 24-year-old stuck in an 80-year-old's body at times. Before I really started putting my health first, it was often hard for me to keep up with fast-paced work schedules and projects. I was often hurting myself for the sake of climbing in my career. So why am I bringing this topic to Conference Room C? Well, because we don't talk about it enough, especially in the Black community. Working while Black can be hard enough dealing with social and historical context, discrimination, and more. But dealing with that while also managing a chronic health challenge can seem insurmountable. So how do we navigate this if we are affected? And how do we create safe spaces for those that are navigating in silence or being misunderstood? I think the answers to these questions are super complex, but today we can at least scratch the surface. With me in the conference room, I have a woman that would shed even more light on this issue. Juliet Romeo, yes, that is her real name. <laughs> Juliet Romeo is a writer and director from Brooklyn, New York. In 2013, her script Unclean garnered the 48-hour Film Festival Audience Award and aired on a Halloween edition of PBS's Art Law. She directed her first short film, The Promotion, the following year. Her first documentary, Jules, is a personal journey of her struggles with the chronic disease, sickle cell anemia. It was chosen by PBS for their inaugural filmmaker series. It won the NSU Symposium Best Documentary and has been a special selection at the Urban Film Festival 
Alan Maldonado's Everybody Digital Black History Film Festival and the 2019 American Black Film Festival. Juliet also teaches a documentary and screenwriting workshop for teenagers. She is also a creator and programmer for Slam Dance Film Festival's Unstoppable Program, a new film festival devoted to promoting disability inclusion in film. When she is not writing, she is creating content for her blog and podcast, Collectively Jeweled. You can follow Juliet at I am Juliet Romeo and at media underscore jewels on Instagram. Juliet, so excited to have you here in the conference room. Yes. Thank you for having me. Good, good, good. So let's get right into it. Yes, let's. Topic that, in my opinion, uh, we don't discuss enough, often enough, or have a lot of misunderstandings about, hence the title, But You Don't Look Sick. So But You Don't Look Sick is kind of a call to action for some um, chronic disease organizations to really get people to understand that there are people out there suffering who you might not think are suffering because they don't look sick from the outside. So the call to action is just stop saying, but you don't look sick. Really try to understand what a person is going through. So we're going to discuss all that and more today. So why don't we just start by you giving us an overview of how having a chronic disease impacted your work life and your career and how you kind of navigate that also at the intersection of being a Black woman in your field. Wow, that is, that's a load because it's impacted me just throughout my life. This was something that I was born with. So I always just looked like everyone else, yet I was suffering and in pain on the inside. So there was a struggle from kindergarten to college, the struggle to finally graduate because I was hospitalized so often and actually have professors and administrators that understood that and would work with me to help me gain higher education and get my degree. Then after that, it was also working a lot of times needing time off to be hospitalized or to get treatment was always um, an issue for my employer. And I've always tried to um, be very transparent with my employer and let them know. And I feel like the minute I tell them that I have an illness, they're like, oh, they're really, they appear very understanding. They give me the job. And then when (laughs) the realness happens and they need their work done and I'm not there, they're like, well, whatever, we got to move on. And I'm out of a job. And I'm just like, you could have asked me so many questions from the beginning and I was ready to be honest. And so you open up this idea for me that I, that you're giving me a chance when you're really not. And so eventually I kind of got tired of that and tried to look for ways to adapt, not to society's uh, workforce, but to create my own. And um, that's what I started to do. I think what's important to point out here is that workplaces are different, right? And so I think from the beginning of this, your story, you were more in like a corporate environment. Yeah. So what do you think it was about you um, disclosing to your employers about your condition that they misunderstood or they appear, you said they appeared to be supportive at first. What do you think changed? I think that they don't expect it. You come in, your resume looks great. You have the experience and everything that they need. They like you as a person. And then the question is asked, is there anything I may need to know, or even if they may not, I try to stop them and say, or I try to find somewhere in that interview 
to implement the I have sickle cell. And if I can slip it in, then they may ask, well, what is that? Or how might that affect work? And I'll tell them, you know, I may have to miss some time. And is that okay? Or, and they tell me, yes. I could think of a few times, really, that they've just decided that they would go another way. And I kind of, those companies are not even in my mind because it's like, okay, they did what they had to do. But to encourage me, I say, oh, wow, you know, we're really going to support you. And then later on, when everything hits the fan, not to support me, it's really one of the challenges are there. It's really disheartening. It's been at some of the worst times. Like, I remember being in ICU. I was in intensive care. And my boss called and she's like, how are you feeling? How are you doing? I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not doing so well right now, but you know, I'm, I'm pushing through. She calls me maybe like two days later. I'm thinking she's just checking on me. And she's like, yeah, well, we, we got to move on. We, we have to let you go. And I'm like, um, you firing me while I'm in ICU? Like, how cold is that? So I just was like, wow. And I remember that interview with that employer so vividly because, I mean, she was so sympathetic. She did everything but give me a hug, you know? So I just was wondering, like, why? Why is it? I feel like they don't, maybe they don't want to seem like they're being discriminatory. And I do understand a job has to get done. A job has to be done. And if I could have done it from the hospital bed, I would have. So I totally understand. But I just feel like there is um, there's a disconnect because they're still looking at me and going, well, you look fine. You seem fine. Even when there's days where I'm like, oh, you know, I'm not feeling great, but I came to work. It would be this, oh, well, you look great or you're so strong. You're such a strong person. Uh, you know, I'm really, I think they are probably genuinely inspired by my work ethic and my drive in spite of my illness. But when it goes comes to brass, they're like, well, we, mm-hmm. I think that as much as they can be as sympathetic, they can kind of let the blow be a little bit softer when they decide mm-hmm. that. But I think they just want to rip the bandaid off. They don't want to deal with it. They don't want to look at us. And so. So you've been really big things these past years. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But I think what's important here is also that there's so many different types of invisible disabilities, like what falls under this umbrella. Some mm-hmm. severe as far as the implications, how many times you have to be in the hospital, treatments, et cetera. So I do have a follow-up question for you. I know for myself, I've been really fortunate to be on the milder side of autoimmune disease. I think the most I've had to do is take a few days off work to just like recharge. But of course, they don't see the pills I take every day for Mm -hmm. my disorders. And if I didn't do that, then it might be more than just having to take off a few days to recharge. So I know for some people who maybe are newly diagnosed with something that's considered invisible disability or they're, they really aren't sure whether they want to disclose in a workplace, whether for legal reasons or social reasons. One, do you have any regrets about ever disclosing your condition to your employer? And also, what are some examples of a time or two when it's worked well, when you've been in a good situation after um, sharing your condition in your workspace? 
Well, I worked for CBS News in New York, and I stalked the people for this job. When I tell you I stalked them for probably a year, I went in for an interview and they really loved me. It was for like an assistant position to a director. I didn't get the position, but they were like, oh, you know, we really loved you, but it was between you and another person. But keep in touch. They should have never told me that. I called them like every day. Hey, how you doing? Eventually I was like, you know what? They might get tired of me. So let me not call. So then I would call like, happy holidays, happy Easter. Oh, it's, you know, happy St. Patrick's. I just would call and catch up on whatever's going on. And they just remembered me. And then one day they called me and said, hey, we have a position open in the newsroom. Um, Do you want it? Two weeks into getting that dream job, I got double pneumonia. And I'm not sure if it's the relationship I had already built with the staff from calling on top of the fact that I had let them know that I, I had an illness, but they were so supportive. They're like, you have to take off two, three weeks because you're in the hospital and you're still in the middle of training. That's okay. They told me, do not worry about anything. Your job will be here waiting for you. And I remember when I finally did come back to work, I checked my emails and there was an email that had been sent out to everyone in the newsroom that just was, keep Juliet in our prayers and thoughts. She's in the hospital. And I just thought, wow, I'd only been there for barely two weeks and they had embraced me in that way. So I do know what, what it looks like and what it feels like to have understanding and supportive employers. I mean, they've definitely always stuck in the back of my mind. I love hearing stories like that because I feel like this show is a lot about being an example for how employers can do better. Yes. Our young Black professionals with differing circumstances. So just to know that there are workspaces out there who get it right, I think it's important for people to hear and to understand just how they did it. So thank you for sharing that. So what would you say, so if I'm a person with an invisible disability and I'm really trying to keep up with with the pace, right? Superwoman syndrome is a big deal for Black women. It's real. We think we can do everything. We think Mm -hmm. we're invincible. A lot of times we feel like we have to work three times harder than our non-Black or non-woman counterparts just to get the same opportunities. And as we know, especially after dealing with all we've seen this year, um, that's a very real sentiment. Like there mm-hmm. is institutionalized discrimination within workspaces that lends itself to us feeling that way. So you have all that going on and you have a chronic illness that you're trying to manage via medication. I know for me, it's very important to get like a certain amount of rest or take a certain amount of breaks. I have to have a specific diet, which I fail at like <laughs> every other day. So what advice would you have for people who are living this life right now and really trying to manage their workload and expectations that others have for them in the workspace while really taking care of themselves so they can make sure they don't literally work themselves to death because it's a real possibility? It was one thing that I, I learned from being let go from positions and to not let it deter you. I really felt that sometimes I needed the break because obviously I'm in the hospital now. You've pushed yourself too far and your body is now telling you this. 
your body is telling you this. Since I've started working for myself and making my own hours, there are times where I've worked so hard that then I'm like, my body's literally going, you need to go and take a nap. This was a lot of work you just did. And I'm able to do that. You're not able to do that. And that's understandable in the traditional workspace, but your body is telling you that something is going wrong and something's about to happen. We're not in control of that, right? But I don't think that it's something that you can hide. You can't hide it because now, because my concern too always is that people are worried about what they're looking like to their employees. Do I look lazy? Do I look like, you know, the times where I didn't want to disclose it, I was being blamed for things. I was being judged in a certain way. And so I just decided to take ownership of who I am. And I'm not my illness, but it is a part of me. And um, what's happening to me comes from, from the illness that I have it. So I have to be real about that. And you cannot understand that. That's out of my control. It's, it's out of your control. So I understand it's tough. I do think that everyone, whether you're able-bodied, you have a disability, invisible or not, everyone needs some multiple streams of income in this economy right now. And everyone is, has this, a creative lens these days. Find something else that you can do as well. Because working in the traditional workspace is not the only thing that's out there. There's a million ways to skin the cat. I think it could be hard because, like you said, in traditional workspaces, there's a lot of different dynamics. You know, of course, if you disclose a disability, depending on the sector you work in, then your supervisor or employer has certain legal responsibilities, things they can say and can't say. So it can get difficult because it also becomes a legal matter. And that's totally understandable. But I think what we all have to remember is that at the end of the day, we're all humans. While no one wants to open themselves up to any type of liability, I Mm -hmm. think as a human, there are things you can do if you're a frontline supervisor to make life a little in work, a little more manageable for someone who has disclosed to you. You might not be able to talk to them about it all day, every day because of legal implications and whatnot. But I would love to see overall workspaces where, you know, there are people who are suffering from individual disabilities and they're able to set more flexible hours. Mm -hmm. That is the case in some workspaces. And it's just like a blanket policy. So really you don't have to disclose anything. You know that you have these reasonable accommodations available to you, but unfortunately it's not the place everywhere. And then sometimes where that is the case, it's the case on the surface. But then when you dig deeper, you realize that they're not really encouraging people to take advantage of these reasonable accommodations or to really take care of themselves. That can work sometimes, but then if you're dealing with someone with a a disability that you can't see and you, maybe you knew about it, maybe you didn't, you know, it could be really dangerous. So yeah, I really like how you said take ownership because there's, from what I understand, now I'm not a legal expert or an HR expert, from what I understand, you can disclose to whoever you want to in the workplace. So I think that is, if you really want to maybe try to have more control over your schedule or how you're treated or how you're perceived in the workspace, that could be a good way to do it. But it's not for everyone. <laughs> it's all about advocating for yourself too. Also because, and I do feel like sometimes I've seen where or experienced where I've been looked over for positions because 
oh, well, we didn't think you can handle it. And it's like, but it's not really your job to think that for me, that I've already done the work and I've shown you that I'm promotable. So again, it's, it's a, like you said, you agree with that. It really is about taking that ownership because it will come back and bite you because you can't keep pushing yourself. And then here's a perfect example of that. I went to Salt Lake City for Sundance and I was like, this altitude is going to kill me. My oxygen level went down to like 66 with oxygen on. So that means there was nothing. I mean, I was literally dizzy. There was no, I mean, I was with my, I was with someone that knew me well enough, but not everyone in this room knew. And so I felt, and Sundance, let's just say the snow is not the only thing that's very white there. And I was like, if something happens to me here, no one knows how to deal with this. You know, I've been to an emergency room in Utah before and they're like, hey, what, what's going on? I have sickle cell and the nurse asked me, what is that? And I was like, oh my gosh, I better just say my prayers right now because she doesn't know what that is. And so I was petrified thinking if something happens to me right now, no one knows because I have said nothing. You cannot prance around like you're okay and you're not okay. Wow. That is a story right there. Yeah. Emotional story. (laughs) I have a couple of more questions, but I do want to hear what you've been up to and why, because you have some really exciting things going on, and I'm sure the listeners want to hear all about it. Yes. What have I been up to? Oh, my gosh. The pandemic. It's a gift and a curse here because I was stuck in the house. I'm not able to go anywhere. And as you know, when you have like a immune system that is just ready to catch everything that's out there. Just forget about that. So I'm already like, I don't want to go to the mailbox, but I'm antsy. I want to do something. What's going on? What can, what can some other people and I collaborate with? And I had done a proposal that I wanted to pitch to some other festivals about bringing disability inclusion to festivals. Um, At Sundance, for example, while I was there, not necessarily Sundance, but just the space that they're in, is it lacks any type of accessibility. And so I was like, I really feel like lots of other festivals, even festivals I've been to in Miami, it could use some work. So I did this proposal and I was able to get the opportunity to speak with Baxter, which is the president and co-founder of Slamdance. He loved the proposal and he brought me on to Slam Dance as a programmer this year for their festival, and we created Unstoppable, which is a film festival for disability inclusion and diversity. And um, it's fantastic. It's going to be February 12th to the 25th. And right now we have passes that are free. Everything is going to be virtual, which is like a disability dream because we don't have to worry about access. Your access is your computer. You will see the films. You will come to all of the panels. You will have the conversations. Um, we're even talking about, we're trying to figure it out now what we're going to do, but we want to have a like a virtual party, a virtual networking party. Like So we're, this is their first year doing anything virtual. This is we've already gotten like 10,000 people <laughs> that signed up. 
This is so cool that you're using your platform. And of course, you've done so much work in the entertainment space as a writer and producer and creator. And now you're using your influence and your platform to really shine light on a disparity in the industry, which is really including people of varying ability levels, including people with disabilities. So is there any more you can tell us? Like, how can people support if they want to donate or what type of panels can we look forward to seeing? Also, something I was wondering is, will you be featuring, also featuring films by producers and creators with disabilities? All of our films either include stories or narratives about disabilities or are films about films by disabled filmmakers. Awesome. All of our programmers, we have five programmers, they also have disabilities. Nice. So this is by disabled filmmakers for disabled filmmakers. And um, what else is there I can tell you? I know. We we have some great surprises as far as sponsors. I don't know if I can talk about that, but yeah, we have some really great uh, sponsorship that's coming along. A lot of great guests that are coming along. So I'm very excited about that to all of the guests that's coming. Um, Right now, I'm also working on um, creating my own showcase to bring in more short films. Because I have started to get all these connections with executives from Hulu, Netflix, just all of these great, amazing networks and other streaming platforms. And they're always looking for content. Like, okay, how can we merge these people? Executives are always like, I'm looking for content. And filmmakers are always like, I'm looking for someone distribution. So how can I bring this together and make this united? And also... One of the things that really, as I was writing this proposal, Mina, I'm like, yeah, this is important, but who do we have to reflect that? And that's when the news broke about Ava DuVernay having lupus. And I was like, this is amazing. Like, she's talking about how she wrote this narrative into her TV show because this is something she struggles with. And no one knew before. This is the thing I'm talking about, about how people don't say anything. And it's almost like we feel like we have to struggle to the top in silence before we can say anything because it will be used against us. And I do believe that that is true, especially when it comes to people of color. I feel like we already have no's. People are looking at our skin color and saying no. They can't say no because of that. And if they find another reason that they can say no, they'll say no and try to use that as an excuse. So it's not them, it's you. I think that just goes to what we were talking about earlier about that intersection. Like Mm -hmm. managing being Black, which is a very real thing that has to be managed in the workspace and then also having a chronic illness. I don't know if you've seen, I think it was last year, Kamala Harris's sister, Maya Harris, wrote an op-ed about having lupus and how it's Mm -hmm. impacted her career over the years. It was was a really good article and I was just glad that once again, a well-known figure, I mean, she's, influential in the political world in her own right. She's Mm -hmm. Clinton and others um, on their campaigns in the policy arena. So I just, I thought that was really cool that she came out and did that. Yeah, we're going to be talking about race and disability and how the intersectionality of that. We're talking about real love, real to real love, real love, what it looks like, what does disabled love look like versus what does it look like on television or does it exist? Right. I haven't seen it. 
we don't see it enough. And if we do, it's kind of weird and sketchy. Right. No, I love all that you're doing. I'm really excited about the film festival. You said February 12th. February 12th to the 25th. Slamdance.com. Go get your passes. Yes. Right now. I believe after maybe this week, they won't be available. Okay. So get on your path. Hopefully I can get this episode out. <laughs> it's still available. So just one last question before we get to the Dear Dr. A segment. So what do you want those who do not have invisible disabilities to know about their colleagues or direct reports that do have invisible disabilities? I want them to know that they have the same wants, needs, and desires as you. They have families to support. They have or want children. They watch the same sports as you. You can have a conversation with them. And we don't need to be treated differently the minute that you know or see our disability. That doesn't change anything. I like that. And I think that just goes to, once again, the human factor and having compassion and just realizing that even though we're all different, everyone has something you need to contribute. I happen to know you are very talented at what you do. Thank um, you. The disability or having sickle cell could never stop you from <laughs> your light. And sharing. well, I'm glad it could have stopped you, but I'm glad you didn't let it stop you from sharing yeah. your talent with the world. And I hope that when people hear this, they get that extra oomph and empowerment to really go forward with their dreams and what they really want to do and know that there are people out there that support them. So let's get to the Dear Dr. A segment, which of course is a story from a listener. And then we'll just get your reactions and we'll wrap it up. So Dear Dr. A, before the pandemic, I was starting to feel overwhelmed at work. It's a little better now with virtual work, but not much. I have lupus and sometimes I just don't have the energy to go from meeting to meeting without a break. I'm worried about talking to my boss about limiting my meetings because no one at work knows I have lupus. I'm also hesitant because I'm the only black person on my team and I don't want my boss or teammates to look at me as the problem. I want to be honest about my needs, but also keep my reputation as being a high performer and reliable. I'm not sure what to do. So we touched on this a little bit, but I mean, what would you say to this listener? That's tough, but I think that she needs to talk to her boss. I do. I'm not sure what the relationship is, but based on the fact that she's concerned about that, I I know what it's like being the one person of color in the room and the expectations and pressures that come with that. But at the end of the day, if you don't get the break that you need, someone else will have your job anyway. So I think you definitely should have the conversation. You don't need, the rest of your colleagues don't need to know. And you guys can work on how you can get your workload completed and the rest of your colleagues don't need to know what's going on. Yeah, some sectors you have to be careful, as we spoke about earlier, (laughs) for legal reasons and all the other things. But I think what's most important to remember is that if your body stops working, then like you said, you won't have a job anyway. So your health has to come first. And as Black women, we just don't put our health first often enough. And we really need to change that. Even without a chronic illness, an invisible illness, we can work ourselves half to death. So having one, you really, really got to be careful and got to take care of yourself. 
Um, and if that environment is not one that can be more accommodating to allow you to stay healthy, hopefully there's another environment that will. But Juliet, Romeo, thank you again for joining me. It's been a pleasure. This conversation has been really impactful. I know that the listeners are going to take a lot from it and it's really going to make a difference. So I thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I got to kick you out the conference room now, but I'm sure I know I'll see you on the outside. So yes. <laughs> Bye. Bye.